Hello, this is Kelly McGee, and today's date is August the 29th, 2020. And I have Tony Rodriguez. He is a survivor of child abuse. Laura Eisenhower here. I'm so excited that my friend Tony Rodriguez is joining me. I have so many questions for him. I met him a few years ago in Mount Shasta and just was really blown away by his story and just going to tell you a little bit about him before I uh, introduce him. And basically, Tony Rodriguez, you know, basically considers himself a normal working class man. He you know, works very hard and he's a family man. Uh, what's interesting about him is that he was a participant of something called an apparent score years and back program. And this all began after he made contact with the son of an alleged Illuminati member. And he'll tell us a little bit about how that all came about. Tony has always had memories of a standard alien abduction and odd memories that didn't make sense. In May of 2015, he had an MRI scan done and within weeks had huge years of memories come back that connected all his odd memories of time served both on Earth and in secret space program for a torturous MK Alter type program and then living uh, years in Peru doing intuitive work in drug running and then to lose the intuitive ability and be taken to Seattle to be owned as a sex slave for a satanic worshiping elite later to be sold off to secret space programs where he served a short time on Mars as a support soldier for Mars Colony Corporation. When the Mars program was canceled, he was traded off to Eurus Colony Corp where he lived for over a decade, working on German ships as a repairman and eventually cargo engineer on interstellar trade missions. Tony sought help with uh, researchers only to be invited to do interviews of his memories though he had never in his normal life visited Seattle. His memories of living there during a 20 and back led him back to confirm and be shocked to find that indeed, everything he remembered was still there and true. Tony since has been an advisor to a foundation on the pedo gate elite practices in an effort to stop human trafficking and has worked with hundreds of people with similar types of memories, as well as authors for books and movie productions based on the score years and back tech. Tony is working on details uh, on a detailed book of his account. So, hello, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Laura. I love to be here. It's great to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. So, I'm just uh, the apparent score years and back program. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, score is 20 years. Uh, you know, there was a lot of debate over people wanted to trademark stuff and call, you know, coin different terms. If you hear a term that describes it, uh, you know, why not go with it? I don't think it's some kind of bustling business. So I just call it scoring back or, you know, or 20 and back. You know, it's 20 years. It was 20 years for me. There have been other people that have claimed to go longer and uh, people that have claimed to just go in shorter, very, although very few. But from my experience, it was 20 and back. And then the ETs that were working on me said that that particular program, that tech that they had only worked 20 in 20 year increments that um, I had a reptilian, a short reptilian, tell me that when they took any being, not only just a human, but other beings too, could only do 20-year increments with that particular method because anything longer, and they would increase the, op the probability of, of insanity as a side effect. 
So they did. It was like a safe. It was like a health safety issue where they went only twenty years. So how much do you know about the agenda behind why you were taken? Like maybe we'll go into your background, the kid that you met who was connected to the Illuminati member, and what you started to gain um, as far as your awareness of this proceeding. It, it, okay, at the time. I think the motivation of so there are many people that I've worked with, I've spoken to were groomed for it. They were chosen for it. They're, they're like uh, you, for instance, you had it in your family. You know, somebody had contact, you know, you're, you're related to a president. So obviously had, had contact with higher up uh, pro- programs. And uh, most people that I've spoken with had uh, somebody uh, relative in the military. They live by a military base. They're groomed for it their whole life. In my instance, I was, going to school with a kid and we didn't get along and his dad had access to these programs and it was given they did it to me as a like a revenge and you know something to kind of make me more humble i was a cocky kid at the time and uh we did not get along that kid and i and i you know i since i emailed him once years ago i found him and emailed and asked him if he ever went to my school and he denied it and said who are you and he kind of was defensive he emailed me back and i said well I must be mistaken then. I thought you were somebody that I met and I wanted to apologize. But have a nice day. Good luck. Thanks for your time. Boom. And that was the end of that communication. But it was him. And um, so it, we were two kids. We were 10 years old, 9 and 10 years old that year, that school year of 9 to 10. And we didn't get along. And he pointed me out to his dad. And his dad obviously had a spot for personnel to be used. And they came and got me and put me in. And you definitely, I mean, you knew that was his dad. That was me. Oh, absolutely. Yes. They talked, you know, have you ever been in a room where people talked about you loud enough for you to hear it? Kind of cavalier, kind of in a way. They did that. Um, he was, the, his dad came in and was very overqualified to be judged for the science fair. He had many degrees, you know, higher, um, what do you call it? Educated degrees, a PhD. But he had many degrees. He was super educated, according to my teacher, my and uh, so he was a judge for the science fair. And when I, we were setting up, the kids that were in the science fair got to go early one morning and set up our stuff and not be in class. And I walked by him and his dad, and he said, that's the boy I told you about that ruined my confidence that one day, Dad. And I heard it. But I was ignoring it. You know, I, I tended to just kind of try to tune him out back then, like I do anybody that I don't get along with. And his dad said something. They talked some weird stuff. And, he, and I remember him saying, well, he doesn't deserve that. And they had a weird conversation with a bunch of stuff that didn't make, it was like, I don't remember what they said, but it didn't make any sense. And so it was that night. It was literally, I think it was that soon. It was that night that I was taken or within two or three nights. It was very soon after that. So uh, that would have been um, April of 82. I originally said 81, you know, and when, with the researcher that I was nine years old, but now look back at it. it so that it would have been after the new year in that school year in April. So April of 82, I would have been 10, and I would have went till I was 30 or 82 to 2002. And there was some, because of the way that the ships, when I got into the last few years of my service with the Germans on the on the ships, working on basically a UFO, the ships go leave and go do a 10-hour day, eight-hour day, and then come back to this close to the same moment they left. So that shaved off a couple years of time. So basically I was gone from, uh, 82 to 2000 but I did a total of 20 years because the ship because the, the, there's a time there's a time travel aspect of it there so it's hard to explain to people it's hard to it's hard to get your head around that's that's how it all happened and I, I remember it quite well 
right. So that night you were taken, but then because it's 20 and back, you kind of woke up like nothing happened and a whole 20 years had gone and you were still in the body of the child. Yes. And so I have a few theories about that. It's not like I'm, um, it's not like I witnessed it or, or did it, but my theory is that I've heard other accounts of what they call consciousness, what I call consciousness transference. In other words, I could clone you, Laura, and the clone would be brain dead. It would just lay there and be a vegetable body. And you have a spark of life in you. You have a uh, consciousness. It's whatever, or your chi, your whatever. You know, every culture has a thing, but it's real. And it's your life signature, your life force. They can take that out and put it into the cloned body. So what happened to me, I believe, because they took me and they did a they did a procedure and then we had to wait a while. So I guess they were building a clone body. During the time, I looked exactly like myself, too. It was me. Um, but they, then they did a procedure. It was just like the scene from Fire in the Sky with the blanket over me and it sucked to the tight. And then a needle went in my eye. And I saw stars, like, you know, like getting sucked out of my body. And I, when I woke up, I had no memory of mom and dad or my life where I came. I had amnesia. So then at the end of that, so then I lived 20 years and I went through all these programs. And at the end of those 20 years, I think that they send you back in time, which is, which is not as hard as it sounds. And then they can just kill the body. They get all their tech back, any implants they have in it, in a clone body. Right. And I had those 20 years of memories. And then they killed that body, and I go right back to my regular body that's laying there, that I've only been gone for a few minutes. But what, what, what was your... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, and I was going to say that. When I woke up again, the next day, I had no. I had all my memories back of mom and dad. Do you, you know? Like, all those memories that were deleted in the first place when I woke up were back. And then the memories of the 20 years was gone. Right. So I think that moving your consciousness from into a clone, and then it lives, and then you kill the clone, and you go back, that explains the memory lapse. But then... Years later, after both, after the, I'm not coexisting on the same timeline with my clone, which was until 2000. Um, years after that is when the memories, like at some point of adulthood or consciousness, you reach where I could access those memories, which means the memories are not kept in your brain. They're kept somewhere else, you know, which a lot of people, any, any really intuitive person already knows that. But a lot of science doesn't. A science does not agree with that. Uh, our understanding of memory doesn't, I don't think, allow for that at this time. But uh, go ahead. When you were uh, in the clone body, though, what would be the age of that body? Were you still like a nine-year-old, ten-year-old? Yes, I lived exactly. So, like, I started at that age, about ten years old, and lived until I was thirty. I see. And I lived those years. You're yeah. As a child in the secret space, is it wasn't like you were put in the body of an older person and then right. Okay. And so, right, so you were talking about memories not stored in the brain, and then you were something else about that? From my experience, from that experience, so that's what it was like. So I'm, uh, I'm assuming here, it's not like I said, it's not like I was a doctor at it, but this, that's what the experience was, and what it also lines up with other people that have come forward, other testimonies that say the same thing. So, so mm-hmm. go ahead. Uh, no, I just, I, I don't want to jump in your train of thought, so. That's, oh, yeah, that's fine with me. Um, oddly enough, I'm not the only one, and many other people have said it the same thing. And then, if you if you take that ability of what I described of being able to take somebody and clone them, and then use them for 20 years, and put them right back, you know, I was back the next night. What I wanted to say earlier was that waking up the next morning was a very strange experience. 
I went down to the dinner table, which was odd. Everybody was behaving odd in the house. My dad was quite weird. My mom made breakfast, which she hardly ever did back then. And uh, it was a, it was an awkward morning. And I said, I feel like I haven't seen you guys in years. And that was exactly the feeling. I, you know, I went to school that day and asked to you later on in the day, about one, two o'clock in class, I'm in fourth grade. I asked to use the bathroom and I forgot where it was. It wasn't a big school, but I forgot where the bathroom was because it was so long. And everybody made fun of me. My teacher called home, called my mom and said something about it. Said, boy, he had amnesia because there's no way. How could he forget where the bathroom is? It was right down the hall. He's been using it all year. And all of a sudden he didn't know where the bathroom Like I didn't know my way around school. I didn't, I was really awkward that day. Like I had been gone for a long time. That was the feeling that I had. Like, so then you started to get your memories back and kind of take us through the chronology of. So I think what happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so to describe the experience. So from those years forward, whenever something powerful, uh, would have, I want to say, I wanted to say traumatic, but that's not true. Whenever something powerful would happen to my, uh, myself, which my, I ended up, my name ended up, I would have had a number. So they changed my name from one place to another. And I always had a number at the end. And at the very end, they named me Jerry. That was my nickname was the German word gerusted for being burnt. I got burnt really bad and they had to fix me. Um, but so they called me gerusted and Jerry for short. Everybody in the crew of the ship named nicknamed me Jerry instead of my number, which I don't know, remember what it was. So I call that guy Jerry. So every time something happened powerful to Jerry, when I got beat up or something or hurt or a you girl kissed were, me when you were when I was Jerry. Yes. When I was Jerry. So, so I was living the same timeline. I lived through the eighties at the same time, the, the beginning, you know? So whenever Jerry had a bad day or a good day, Tony would also have an emotional high and low for no reason and vice versa, I believe. But I don't really, I didn't really have a timeline. Like it's like not like they celebrated. Yeah. Like it's kind of like there's two of you. Yeah. Yeah. There's two of you at the same timeline. So if, like twins like twins experience the same thing like when one twin has gets in a car wreck the other twin all of a sudden knows something's wrong right so it's like a parallel timeline that you're living out but in this physical density it's like no time took place but as you're growing up as tony you're living with this parallel even though it was time traveled back yes so right because it was at the same time so when something would happen i would remember it as tony as well so later on i was in my 20s in my mid 20s i would i would remember i would wake up and remember being on a spaceship i remember standing looking out the window at the orion nebula you know we there was a time that was very important and they let it it was rare that they did it they actually let everybody stop working even guys that were low on the totem pole like me they would let us stop working they were like go out you're not going to get a chance to see this again go to one of the windows and it was like the mid deck like the ship had five decks and the mid deck had places with big windows where everybody could stand like observation deck areas. And so they would say, stop working and go to the observation and look out there. And that was a very big thing for me then. So I would remember that in my real life. And I would think, when did that happen? Because it wasn't a dream. It wasn't like a dream. I, I said this before in our other podcast that in a dream, you don't remember how you got there. In a dream, you wake up on a beach you don't remember driving there and you don't remember going home or showering or anything like that. You're just dreaming. These memories that felt it was a dream. You know, there were times when I was sleeping, I dream, but I had, I could wake up and remember how I got there, how I got home. I remember things that were not dreamlike. So they were memories. 
were they memories where you were experiencing a memory while it was simultaneously happening happening like in the parallel kind of way or was it more just i believe so or or just or or nearby the time so that's what i mean so in in my tony in my chronological life i couldn't justify when i would have a career because not only was i standing on a ship but i had you know i knew i had to get back to work i knew that i had a job to do i had a career and so when in a you know tone so when i remembered stuff like that i thought when could i have done that i had a full i had a full chronological set of memories of my life of growing up in michigan and going to school and working any jobs that i did it wasn't like I had time to be gone for a year, for years to learn something. So I just brushed it off as if it has to be some kind of super awesome, super dream, some different kind of dream that I'm not aware of because when could I have done that? And it wasn't until, it was right after the MRI thing in uh, April or end of April, beginning of May, first two weeks of May, uh, that was right after the MRI for one. And then I saw the Randy Kramer stuff with Dr. Sella where he explained the 20 back the quantum time dilation that people go and then they're taken back. And I went, oh my God, that's what happened. And as soon as, as soon as I entertained it and I accepted it, that all the memories just flooded back and they started to make sense. The memories were kind of always there, but I just was in denial of them. I, I was like, that doesn't, that's not real. That how, when could that have happened? Right. So you, you get there around the age of nine and 10. So take us into just kind of like the training, what they were training you for, what kind of, dynamic was out there in the cosmos like there's a lot of different space programs so which one and like kind of the chronology i'll I'll, I'll do the chronology super quick because there's a lot of stuff and it's hard to always get them out one oh i'm sure right they took me i went to a laboratory somewhere i'm sitting there with grays and short reptiles and uh with hoods like really strong and they were telepathically communicating with me they said they were going to use me. They want to borrow my consciousness was the exact term. Borrow my consciousness for 20 years. And I agreed. And they put me down, did a, did a procedure and put a needle. They wanted to find my dominant eye and they had to wait for a while. And they put a, you know, like a latex blanket and then cut, cut it out. And a needle went in my eye right there. Bang. And I woke up in the desert in a place uh, in your current air base with humans and other kids like me. And we were told we were clones and we went through a, MK Ultra style trauma based mind control program where they would give us a hallucinogen, probably LSD, I, I'm guessing, and um, make us watch movies. They were, they were terrible movies, like things, you know, cartoons. It was like Disney cartoons, and then they would show animals getting murdered and then satanic stuff on there. And it would repeat. We'd watch it all day long. And then he would test us at the end of the day. What was your movie? What you. Then they did other things. They gave us drugs, and he had, uh, we went through. Um, like yeah, like uh, remote viewing stuff, tests, and uh, you know, they they started with sleep deprivation, and it went on. So I don't know how long it went on. A few months, three months, six months. They would wake you up in the middle of the night. Alarm would go off every fifteen minutes all night. Once they started the sleep stuff, and they'd get up one day. They come in, they'd smack you, and then we'd have to lay back down, go to sleep. Then fifteen minutes later, you'd wake you back up again, do the same thing all night long. And then uh, they eventually did it with electrical shocks. They come and shock you with like a cattle prod thing, boom, and then you can go back to sleep. So what that trained you to do was when you were shocked to just stop and go into that catatonic state of mind. And for the rest of my 20 years after that time, if I got, I had a collar on on series colony when I was on the off world, I wore a collar that would shock me. And if I was shocked, 
no matter what I was doing, I would stop what I was doing and await a command. I would just stop and kind of zone out and whatever I was told to do is what I would do. So that was what they trained us, um, that program did. So they eventually got it to where they would give us some kind of drug and we would go out, we would go under and be, um, you know, like an intuitive. We would be a, they could flip it on and off, you know, they could drug you. It was an IV bag, they put it in there and I remember passing out. And when I woke up, people would say that we said the most incredible things, that we would channel people and they were getting uh, psychic information, information about the future and the past and, and talking to other people that would come through. And all the kids in the class did that. So then they shipped me off to Seattle where I witnessed my, there was a billionaire that owned me. I've identified him. I've since found him. I went to back. Tony has went back to the house. I told, you know, after I met you in Shasta, I flew to Seattle that next that day. Actually that night I went to Seattle and the following day I went to that house and it was not only the house, but the neighborhood, the stores nearby, the beaches, everything. The whole island was exactly how I remember it. And it was the first time that Tony had been there. And so that, to me, that was like a put a stamp on it for evidence. And there are other places in the world that I was there too that I could take that I want to visit still. And because I have intimate, you know, I still have intimate memories of living there. You kind of going like on space and then there's locations on land and you're kind of going back and forth then and, and it's still well, not creating time even though you're. Exactly. Well, it was me, but there was one trip to the moon. There was a surgical procedure they did. From that time in annual occurred during those the MK Ultra stuff, we did take a trip to the moon, and it was a procedure that they did. Like we got surgeries done to make us more proficient at whatever they were, whatever you classify it, remote viewing, ESP channeling. I don't know, whatever you can put a throw a blanket over it. That kind of work, intuitive work. They there was a procedure that we had to fly to the moon and get it done that they didn't have it here on Earth. The tech, so they did that, and then I came right back to Inukern and then off to Seattle for a week maybe and then to Peru and what happened in Peru was that they were shipping Porto Tahuantinsuyo Peru is the town in the jungle and people would bring cocaine they had laboratories making cocaine in the woods you know in the jungle and then they would bring it there and when they had a plane load of it they would fly a plane to Santa Marta Colombia and offload it one of the planes went down in bad weather or saw under some circumstance so they paid for me to be there I was a piece of equipment I was an intuitive, I was a piece of equipment, and there was a guy that took care of me, excuse me, that was the only one that spoke English in the town. And so he was stuck with taking care of me. And I was there for about two years. So 10, 11, 12, you know, right till 13, right before I turned 13 in those years, I was there, I lived there. I had a little room with a black and white TV and I was mentally damaged. I was a damaged kid. They called me a crazy kid. And, um, about once a month we would do trips on the plane on a, it was a c-46 commando it had the little window in front i remember one day they let me crawl down it was like really tight squeeze to get to it they let me crawl in the front look out the window at the very front and um about once a month we'd do that and they put me on a cot he put me under and that was i was i would tell them if there were going to be police or bad weather or whatever he said that he talked to his dead grandmother he said that while i was under there were times i spoke fluent Spanish and I don't know Spanish and I didn't then and he said they talked to his dead grandmother and after a while people in the village people in the town would give him questions to ask me while I was under and you know he wrote down stuff so it was a big deal so after a few missions after a few months of me doing that that everybody in town kind of 
the, the crowd parted when I came, when I walked through, everybody gave me, you know, distance. I was, I was a, I had importance to them. And I really, for the rest of those 20 years after I'd left, the day I left, they all lined up and waved goodbye to me. And it was felt, it felt very special to me. Um, and for the rest of the time after that, I missed, I missed it. I always wanted to go back there. But for me now, it doesn't make sense. I've looked into going back there and to not be able to speak Spanish, it's, it's a very lawless place. And they say there's illegal gold mining going on. There's still the co- cocaine businesses there, and people die going there. So uh, it's not something I could just up and were, go. It's not like they have a Holiday Inn right. that I could check into. So your job was to like run drugs, or was that? I was an intuitive on a plane that was running, that was doing that. Right. And uh, after a while, right around puberty, uh, toward the end, I started losing the ability, and uh, I was getting sicker and sicker each time they put me under. I'd stay sick for a week, you know. And so they sent me back to Seattle and I stayed there for a few years. And that was, it's funny because, so this is 2015. If you look back on the news articles of everything, the Hillary gate and everything, I was the first one to come out and say that there was a connection between the space program and any of the pedo gate stuff. I was the first one that said that the, that these people that are in this organization that, that had me, I was the first one that said there was any of the satanic sex stuff that was going on. And that was at the house in Seattle. The guy, the billionaire that owned me was a practicing Satanist. And he sacrificed human, ritual human sacrifice. And he did the adrenochrome and all that. Exactly how people say. And I reported this back in 15. And it's all come to light really since then. I I never heard of it before that. So tell us more about your experience in Seattle. And one quick question, though. If you were time travel back and you're actually experiencing Earth years while Tony's, what, was in bed? That's right. There were two of me. There were two of me. You're just sleeping and you wake up the next morning, but then you got this other part that's actually living out years on Earth. There there was a Tony in Seattle and there was, well, excuse me, there was a going to be Jerry in Seattle. And the same day, the same time, there was Tony in Michigan. There were two of me. But you, so you it was a shared consciousness. But the time travel was where the memories were wiped. But again, but for for me, the experience, you know, the experience was uh, there's a diagram of it. But basically, here here's a timeline. I went here, and then I went and was taken and lived those twenty years and then put back. That's how I experienced. So that I the twenty years, the Seattle time and the, the twenty back, I experienced that first, and then went back into my life. And then experienced my life, and now I'm 47. Yeah. You know, it's been years right. later, but it's not like uh, they were both at the same time that I was kind of flaky in and out. Like when I woke up the next day, I felt 20 years older. And that was after the Seattle and everything is yeah. woke yeah. up and all that. But then, as you right. live, it's a parallel thing that's going on. That's why you remember. So tell me about what happened uh, in Seattle and how this relates to what we're seeing in the news with Epstein and these types that have these islands and they're doing child and how it connects with, like you said, Satanism and secret space programs. Sure. Well, his, okay, so that billionaire, and, and I don't say it publicly, there's still, he has still his family alive. They may or may not be, it's not, it's just not responsible for me to go and blurt out names. I have, I have shared his name and the, the place with researchers and with secret service people in the government that are that pertain to this, that have questioned me. Um, I have shared it with researchers. But so the person that owned me was a practicing Satanist. He had a giant company. He was a billionaire, uh, public figure, and he was doing fundraisers. He would throw parties and they were fundraisers 
for, and I'm not picking a side here, but I'm saying his particular instance, they were Republican Party fundraisers, and he was backing uh, candidates in the local area and on national on a national level. And the parties were public parties; they were fun. People would come. It was like a picnic and stuff. And this process. And then after the party was over at nine o'clock at night, they clean up, and then it was a dinner party with people that were in on it, military people and political people. And they were sex parties. They were doing sex and drugs, and it was like catered, and there were girls. They had girls. We were boys. The house that I stayed in at any given time had six to nine boys living there, and they would come and go. And they've had them, they had it set up legally like they were adopt, like it was an adoption thing or like a foster care. And it wasn't. They were tra- They were boys. There were boys that tried to get away, that got caught. Like, but that's the child trafficking part of it. Is they it? were trafficking, right. And so I wasn't allowed to speak to any of those boys about the moon or anything that I knew. I, everybody thought I was crazy. I was mind broken. So I was a little off um, to those boys during that time. But as far as the billionaire was concerned, he knew about the secret space program. Part. He did. And there were people at those parties that knew what I was. Um, there were times I was pulled aside and they said, this is one of them. And he's. So there are. There that's might another been. story. I don't want to implicate stuff, but they, there were, there were, there were people that would be at those parties that had that had knowledge of what was going on. But th- not every kid was in the secret space program. Like exactly, that. exactly. Um, and we were trained to do that, and it was they had a schedule. It was like a, it was in the summertime, once or twice a month in the summer they'd throw a party, and it wasn't I, like I didn't end up at all the parties, and they would give us a radical drug i don't know what it was it was an injection and it only lasted an hour or so but you couldn't feel a thing it was like you were just zonked out and you were we were a sex um you know like we were a a uh part of the party you know we were a we were a and what did that and what would that consist of i mean i don't want to take you into any uncomfortable place it's uncomfortable but you know what i mean people should know that that that's what's been going on you know that's People don't want to believe it, but that's what was going on. So we were there would always be three boys there. There'd be two boys working the crowd, and we weren't allowed to stand up, and we weren't allowed to open our mouths. I mean, close our mouths. We couldn't close your mouth, and we couldn't stand up. And anybody that wanted to come by and do whatever they wanted to us could. And there was a guy there that was a big security guy, and if we did anything wrong, or he would punch us and kick us out and put another boy there. And so you got chosen for that. So those parties, and there were boys that got took to other parties too. Well, you I didn't have your mouth closed, which means that you were expected available. to sexual acts. Yes. And right. would men and women, these powerful people, partake? Yes. And yep. what was the satanic element? Were they in their bodies? What, so look, what on the soundtrack, it? like on the soundtrack, so they had, so this was weird, is uh, a lot of times when music would come out, there were like Aerosmith, I've talked about this, like Led Zeppelin songs and Aerosmith that would come out in my life, and I'd go, that's an old song when it was brand new on the radio, because to me it was already old, because I was listening to it at those parties. If you think, so the song uh, Take On Me by AHA, they play it at those parties. So it was in that year that it came out. It was like 86. So that's how I know. So they would play that song then, but in between that, they would go, they counted down to midnight. They counted down to some, count down to darkness, and they'd shut all the lights off right at midnight, and then that was one of the parties. And then there was another one, there were, like a voice would come out like a DJ like they played the songs and then it would say you can do as you wish that will be the sum of the law and then the music would kick back on and you know like they did stuff like that in between the songs and it was just like a, it was like a mild like a lot of the people that were at that party didn't know that the satanic stuff was going on like the ritual was back in the house but, but like we were out on the lawn right but you know? they 
were witnessing what they were doing to the boys, these powerful people. They didn't know yeah, about it was, Yeah, it was sex stuff. So there was a stage with girls, you know. Um, and I talked about this before, that we were supposed to point in a certain direction so that there was a camera 100 feet away or a couple hundred feet away in the bushes that they were taking pictures. And we were if we were having sex with somebody, we were supposed to point in a certain direction so that the camera could get their face. So, blackmail people? It was setting up right. That that was absolutely going on. And, w- and there were people there that were appalled by it, too. There were people that were there for the first time, and they were like, whoa. And, you know, like, I remember there was a guy that was a doctor that walked up, and he, he checked. He, he looked into my eyes. My pupils were dilated, and, I, you know, we were getting beat up and, uh, you know, raped, basically. And he, he was just appalled by what he saw, but he couldn't do anything about it, and he knew it. He was just, like, almost in tears. I remember... I remember that because he was every now and then there was somebody that was sympathetic to, to what was going on but for the most part it was the norm for them it, was, it wasn't their first rodeo most of the people that were there and, and what were, was the purpose as far as they're concerned they they have the option to have a mate somebody to uh share life with there's other options of how to get sexual energies what i mean were they drugged and blackmailed were, were they i mean I think it was more like a hedonist thing. I think it was more like a, uh, you know, if you're with us, you can do whatever you want. Kind of. That was the theme. How is that in anybody's, I mean, you know, there's things that one can relate to. Like, okay, you know, everybody, I can understand why somebody might solicit a prostitute if they're, you know, an an older man and they never had a part. Like, there's some things that make some kind of sense, even though it's not something I relate to. And I'm not supporting that whole thing at all but how can somebody anybody think that it's okay to abuse a child like this i just it's so hard to wrap one's head around the mindset that that finds that appropriate or even arousing like how do i don't know right right that's how i that's what's hard for me to get my head around too you know um to be to be perfectly uh there's other stuff like i don't want to get into the really graphic you know, I, I don't want to go too far, but there were some things like they had things in place. Like we weren't um, super young kids. We were um, 12, 13, 14. So wait, yes, too young. But there was a blurry line there. It wasn't like, uh, you know, the, the really. So they did that. So there were even kids that were 16, 17, 18. So that could be confusing. And it was both boys and girls, and yes, right. So, okay, so and the girls were at a different house. Like we never had contact. Like us, they were training us. They wanted us to be gay, but you know, it would have been great. It would have been better if I was, but I wasn't. So it was kind of you know, it was a difficult thing. But the girls, they they kept girl, they kept images of girls away. We weren't allowed to watch shows with a lot of girls in them, and they kept all the girls away from us the whole time. But there was another house where they had a, probably a. 10 girls too that came in the same thing you said something about a stage though where the girls were the girls were on stage and now that would always get crowded you could see like sometimes they would have the big feathers you guys i remember seeing the girls walk on stage and they had like like mardi gras like the big feathers like you know you could see the girl and there would always be a lot a long line and there were guys that would come to us because the line was too long for the girls you know like that's a reality of how how that worked okay so um so outside is one thing and everybody seems to be in sort of this hedonistic mindset and it's just part of like the party and then inside is like satanic rituals happening where they're I knew that they had that happening because in that during that day we had to stay like during the party the 
the public affair that was, that was the fundraiser. There'd be thousands of people. It was a big property. During the day, we had to stay in our room. But you could see the props. I knew from sitting in on a couple of their rituals that they did, they had props. They had things that they, they had, like, an incense burner. They had masks that they wore. And they would have those laying out for that night. So I know that that was going on, too, during those parties. So, that you know what I mean? Like, you know, you think about a group of a few hundred people, and probably 10, 10 or 15 of them were actually in on it. Practicing Satanists. And, and, and that would involve some sort of sacrifice. And was that where they extracted the adrenochrome, or is that... Or drinking. The one okay, so I went. I witnessed one such act, and uh, they called us in one at a time. There were three of us kids. And it was in the very beginning when I first went there. They called us in one at a time, and there was a altar with a boy on it, and he was opened up and dead. And he was draining. He had buckets that he was drained his blood into, and he made us. It was like a communion uh, ritual, and he asked me, you know, what. I don't want to go too too detailed into it. It's pretty pretty dark stuff, but it was like a communion ritual where you had to drink some and eat some of them. And then they put and then they put us on tables and did the drug of us, you know, the intuitive thing, and put me under so that he was getting business information, you know, from having psychic kids at his, you know, from owning psychic kids through this program, through this program, which I trace back to Project Growthling. From the CIA, we were. Uh, it was an element of Project Grill Flame. Grill Flame. Grill Flame was, yeah, I think was the funding because of the place it was and the people involved. I think it came through a certain institute, but you know, without proof, I can't just name a bunch of names. But I, it was a lot of that same technology that spawned off. So we were a military version of that stuff. Um, so I'll fast forward. I'll get into space here. Um, I don't want to dwell on this too long before it gets. I don't want to. Right, um, real quick, so Epstein and all that—it's the same kind of thing going on at the island. And it what? looks like it. Yeah, it look. It, it's the, right. It looks exactly like the same operation. That that's exactly what would happen. Um, and, and, and yeah, and we'll see how the Clintons are connected and other politicians and celebrities, and hopefully this will all come to the surface. Yeah, it looks. It sounds like the exact same methods and I I can say this that it wasn't something that they were winging like they knew exactly everything they knew what they were doing there it was a it was a process like they knew what the kids would do they knew what was going to go on they knew they knew exactly what they were doing kids you know a certain amount of kids would run away and they knew how to catch them and you know like they had been added a long time it wasn't something that they had just picked up and started doing they've been added a long time they were professional you know industrial level industrial grade sexual child trafficking right and and the blackmail part um would be to own these powerful people so that they could use that against them if they were to turn away from the cult i guess yeah and there was a lot of people in the military too there was a lot of people that were military personnel Okay, well, let's shift gears to your time and space then. And, so, and you can just draw a connection between the child trafficking and the secret space programs. Right, so what happened was, in between the parties, the rest of the time, it was just like living in an orphanage in a giant house with a swimming pool. I mean, it wasn't bad. Um, other than it was very emotionally cold, we all, you know, we got treated bad from each other. It wasn't a very uh, emotionally supportive situation. None of the boys really got along. And it was it wasn't there was no real like nurturing relationships. It was like being in prison, but a, albeit a gilded cage, you know, a nice prison. 
But every morning we had to, we were on a strict diet. They kept us skinny. And every morning we had to get up and do calisthenics and take pills, a couple pills, and then do a workout. And um, they changed the pills one day, and I was allergic to them. And after a couple, three days of them, I couldn't use, I, I was puking from it. I couldn't do it. And I said, can we go back to the old pills? And she, she made the proper calls about it and said that uh, it was that or I go off to the military. I either get used to them. And so about two weeks later, that was the deal. And I was like a dead man. Like they quit talking to me and they knew I was going. And she drove me to a parking lot behind a big store and some guys in a van grabbed me and they gave me an injection in my arm and I lost, I passed out and I woke up on a spacecraft on my way to the moon. And um, that's why I, like I, I was in a van and they gave me a shot and I passed out. When I woke up, I was sitting in a space like a TR-3B, the one that they, it was just like being in an airplane, but the rows were really wide. Like there were 20 seats wide, 25 maybe seats. It was super wide rows and there were military guys and there was a guy there. He's like, you know, I was awake. I came to and uh, he told me what kind of what was going on, that I was going to go and be trained. I went in there and uh, it was a base. We dropped people off at one base, I think, and went to another one. Vague, um, but I went in and it was like um, they would give me a drug and put headphones on you, and I would be plugged into a screen, a computer, like a monitor, and they showed me movies. And it was about fight or flight response. They programmed me to not flee when I was afraid, like you know that you have fight or flight, and uh, that was all my military training I got. They didn't teach me how to do you know like throw grenades and all that stuff. And uh, it was me and a dozen other kids, probably, and they marched us to another part, and we we flew to another base on the backside of the moon, and then they, we dropped off, and they marched us down to an arena, and they tested us out, and they gave us uh, explosives, and like they told us basically to become suicide bombers, and put us in an arena with a and on the other end a giant bug came out, and um, just like Randy describes on Mars, it was a giant spider-looking bug. I've had some pretty good artist drawings of it. And one of the kids that we were, you know, there was a dozen of us, and one of the kids ran up to it and detonated it and killed, blew himself in half and killed the bug. And I, I was told he lived, but he didn't go with us. So after that, we went in and got a checkup in a, like a hospital room, and we slept in the bed that night. And the next day, we were flown to Mars, and I was taken to Mars and put in a forward base and where there were active military uh, missions going against bugs, indigenous insects that live on Mars. And I was there like a few months. And that they had the it. kind of technologies that if you got injured or a limb got blown off, they would grow back? They could grow it back? Right. I I did three missions. So then we were going every other day. Like there were six of us that would go one day and then six of us would go the next day. And the first, mission, first two missions, I had no contact with anything. The third mission was more aggressive. And we had contact with the bugs and guys died. Uh, I think three of us died on that one. And then they brought you back. And I lost an arm. I got a I got an arm cut off, bit off, and an my foot from the an ankle. And the soldiers carried me back, and I passed out. I, like I lost a lot of blood. They said I had to stay awake, stay awake, and they kept slapping me. In. And uh, I remember seeing the sunset was purple and cloudy. It was you know the weather on Mars changed very fast. And uh, as soon as I saw the doors to the base, he let me go to sleep. You know, I, want, I wanted to pass out. I lost blood. And when I woke up, I had my arm and my foot back. And I don't know how. So, okay. Um, why? 
was to protect the bases, you would be warring with these uh, these indigenous beings on Mars, or to 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 be able to protect the bases, or you were. Okay, that's part one of Tony Rodriguez, a survivor of child trafficking, sexual slavery, and the secret space program. Part two is next.